I got this message, and I did a, a take on it before, but nothing like we're going to do today. It's called Rebel with a Cause. Rebel with a Cause. And one of my favorite movies ever is Rebel Without a Cause, right? And again, I said this in first service. If you've never seen it, then you hate movies, right? And so this is the classic 1955 James Dean, the ultimate cool, okay? He wears a red leather jacket and gets into a knife fight. There's nothing cooler than that. Avengers, take your tickets and go home. This movie is incredible, right? And so this movie's all about a dude who's being rebellious and he doesn't know why, right? It's just like teen angst. And so I started to think about, okay, what does, you know, being a rebel actually mean? What does rebellious actually mean? And the term rebel means to rise in opposition of. That's all it means. So I started to think, okay, hold on. That sounds exactly like our mandate from God. That's exactly what he's called us to do, right? It's to rise in opposition. When we see something not right, we rise up to the occasion, rise up in opposition, and fix it, change it, and, and remove things, place things, whatever that is. And so I started to think, okay, we are rebels, and so... We need to be rebellious. And today I'm going to teach everybody how to be rebellious. As a Christian, you should think like a rebellious thinker. You should be rebellious. When something is brought to you, you should not just take it for what it's worth, but you should rebel against it and try to figure out all four sides of it. And what am I missing? What's not here? What can change? What can be replaced, right? And so today we're going to talk about some people throughout the Bible. If you ever heard me preach, this is one of my favorite things to do, is to talk about people from the Bible who actually existed and figure out how they and their story apply to us right now today. I think there's, there's, there's times where we can go real deep and there's times where we just need to read scripture. And because, look, it, it's amazing to conversate with God. But most of the time, God's like, I already said it, you just haven't read it yet. And so we're going to break down some scripture and how, again, how that applies to us today. But we're really going to be rebellious. One of the the things that got me thinking about this was I wouldn't see myself as rebellious. But the more I think about it, I've been rebellious my whole life, right? That's just kind of who I am. And for a long time, it was probably in a negative way. And as I get older, I realize how to channel it, right? I had a youth leader one time tell me, you're rebellious, but I like it, okay? If we could steer you in the right direction, you could do a lot of good things. But right now, you're not, right? And so I was born rebellious. Some people in this room, you're born that way. Some people are not that way, right? I just happen to be. One of the ways I know this is because there's so many times where people, we begin to speak in cliches. That's one of the examples I thought about, right? If you talk to me in cliches, I will just turn away and walk away from you, okay? I don't like when people speak in a certain language that was just made up because they don't know how to communicate what they're feeling, right? And so if, you're, if I say, how was your day? You're like, well, you know, it's Monday. I'm just going to be like, oh, forget this. This is a waste of time, right? Why has it got to be Monday? Why has it got to be, or, or like hump day? Why has it got to be hump day that, that it's a bad day? That's an individual Wednesday. That Wednesday never happened before, never happened again. Why is that a hump day? If you speak to me in cliches, I get rebellious, right? I hate when people just follow along with what's supposed to happen. That's why I can't go on Facebook. I can't go on Facebook. Everybody, it's the exact same post, just rearranged in different ways. I hate that. I can't stand that. Say something unique. Otherwise, I I can't go on Facebook. It frustrates me. And most of it's complaining, and I can't handle that, right? See, again, this ain't my message, but rebellious people don't complain. Rebellious people do. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit about today. But if you speak in cliches, I don't know because I haven't kind of conversated with everybody, just try to communicate something different, right? I do it sometimes too and I go, nah, why do I think like that? I even look at, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell Anna stuff, she thinks I'm crazy. I'll be like, why do cars look like this? I don't know, that's just the way cars look. But why? 
I mean, there was like a car. I get it. That was the first car. And that looked crazy. You went from a horse to a car. But then we just had versions of that car. Why? And, and that's, that's how my brain works. Why? I, I, I don't, I told Anna, I said, when we, if we ever buy a house, I'm just going to gut it to the ground floor. I'm going to build something that doesn't look like a house. I can't stand things that are the same over and over. And nobody's being unique and changing anything. Now, that's just me on a physical level. But we got to do that in our own lives, right? So we're going to talk about how to be rebellious today through some people. The first person I want to talk about is Hannah. Hannah, if you never read about Hannah, it's an amazing story. Hannah was rebellious. Hannah was next level. I don't care what you think. Here's what I'm going to do. Hannah was shameless. The first way, if you want to be rebellious, you got to be shameless. You can't be rebellious if you, if you can't even uh, be rebellious in front of people or in front of God or in front of things. It's just not going to work. I want to read this about Hannah. I think this sounds so modern and it's like, like written a book right now. It says this, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I mean, that sounds like a Facebook post right there. (laughs) They're irritating me, right? So God had closed Hannah's womb and made her empty. Now, her husband had another wife. He had two wives. He had Hannah and he had this other woman. This other woman had many children, but, but Hannah had none. And so it was the other woman that was, that's her rival that was mocking her and making fun of her. I mean, it happens to us all the time, right? Man, somebody who's super blessed might be talking down to us because we're not quite as blessed, right? Now, they're doing this right here in the house of God. This is happening in a church. It says, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, the church, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkan, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Uh, why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? The next part. He's trying to help her, but he's not really fixing it. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. So you got to imagine this. Picture this. They're in church, okay? And everybody's left. The service is over. And the, the priest says, hey, listen, you and, and, and your, your wives, oh, which was totally like legit at the time, but that's weird now. But you and your wives, let's go, in the, let's go in the office and let's eat. Let's have some dinner. So they're sitting around this table and they're eating, okay. And they're looking at Hannah like something's off about Hannah, right. You ever been at dinner and somebody's like sad and they're just looking for you to show them sympathy. But you won't give it to them. That's how I am. I, I, if I'm at dinner and someone's uncomfortable, I have to just point it out, right. I bet I was at a dinner one time where somebody was doing that, just like a pouting. And then I just was like, what are you crying for? Like that. I was trying to be funny. And everybody thought it was funny except for that person. And then they kind of pulled the Hannah, which was they just stood up, cried, and left. But Hannah, Hannah, Hannah stood, stands up at the table in the middle of dinner. And she said, it said that she began to just weep. She's not crying. She's weeping bitterly at the dinner table in front of the pastor. She just can't take it anymore. That's it. Shamelessly stands up and she's just weeping. It keeps saying this. It said, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. The next part says this. 
It says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Nobody understood her. She was being shameless, being a rebel, saying, okay, you're not supposed to just stand up and cry at dinner, but I don't care. I need to speak to God right now. I don't care who's in front of me. Even the pastor was like, are you drunk? Why are you doing this? We're having a peaceful dinner. Your lips are moving. No words are coming out. You're just weeping. What's going on? And she shamelessly begins to explain herself. She didn't have to, but she does. So it goes on to say this. He says, not so, my Lord, had replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She's explaining, uh, explaining herself. Listen, this is why I'm doing this. And sometimes there's, there's points in our life where we have to get around a dinner table full of people that we trust and we, that will understand us and say, listen, I've been going through this thing personally. I'm tired of holding it in. I want to be shameless and pour it out there. You might think I'm drunk, but let me explain myself. Maybe you'll understand after I'm done. That's what Hannah was doing. This is what's going on. The next part says this. It says, Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. The, the, the pastor was saying, listen, now that you explained yourself, I come into agreement with you. That's what we should do for each other. Right? Okay, you're being shameless, man. You're being rebellious. You're doing something that maybe is uncomfortable, but I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to pray for you. That's what the priest did. It goes on to say this. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. See, here's the deal. She was still barren, but she worshiped. He said her husband made love, to his, made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. See, he didn't remember her prayer. He remembered her rebellion. He remembered the fact that she said, I don't care where I am. I need to take care of this now. He, he remembered the shamelessness. She said, would you just remember me? Here's what I want. Here's what I need. And here's what I'm willing to do to get there. I'm willing to be shameless. That needs to be us all the time. Man, listen, if we can't talk about uh, God and how much he's blessed us or what we're going through in front of people, man, that puts shame on you. That just holds you down. And Hannah understood that. Hannah was shameless in her time of emptiness. So we, we, tend to be, we tend to be shameless when we're pumped up. But Hannah was shameless in her emptiness. Another one I want to talk about is Job. Now, I said this in first service. Job is the, one of the trippiest books of the Bible you will ever read. It's like Job and Revelation, okay? Job is crazy. Job is about this one guy who had the most insane experience with God. And the way Job was rebellious, because he was, Job was rebellious because he was faithful no matter what. That's being rebellious. That's, when everything's wrong, 99.9% .9 of people uh, are fearful and not faithful, and Job said, no matter what happens, God, I'm going to be faithful. See, Job was practicing faith before anything ever happened. But I want to get into the trippy part of this. I want to read the scripture. Hmm. It says, one day the angels, or the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. This is crazy. This is the first time ever that Satan is allowed back into heaven. Most people don't know this. Satan was cast out of heaven, okay, and, and God said, let him back up for a second. So Satan, he, he'd been trying to get back up the whole time. 
right? He gets back up there. The angels meet him at the gates. Because it says the angels were guarding him and walking him to God. And so he calls him Satan. The Bible refers to him as Satan here, which is Satan, which is to be, uh, uh, to uh, uh, come against, which is to change things. Satan, the, that word in the original Hebrew and Greek, what that means is this. It means to oppose, a, you know, a rebel rises in opposition. So he comes to oppose God. He's standing face to face with God. It never happens again in scripture that the devil is allowed back into heaven. And he's standing in front of him and he says this. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. That is such a creepy description of the way Satan operates, right? He said, oh, remember, you cast me down there. So I've just been going down back and forth. I've had no purpose. I've had no reason. All I can do is go back and forth. I touch whoever I want, but I just go back and forth. And you got to imagine Satan, he's in heaven. He remembers what it looks like. He spent eternity there, right? And so he's looking around saying, wow, I forgot this is what it looked like. Oh, I forgot what it was like to be in the presence of God. You don't think Satan, he was obviously physically in the presence of God, right? And he was there to oppose. And so he said, I was going back and forth on it. The next part of the scripture says this. This is where it gets crazy, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So God right now, he's trying to rub uh, 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 his mercy in Satan's face. He said, you say you go back and forth on the earth, but the most righteous person on the earth right now is Job. And you didn't even try to, you know, you didn't even attempt to take him down. What about him? He's perfect. He's kind of saying, I dare you. What are you going to do? Satan says this. He says, uh, uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Uh, you have blessed the works of his hand so that his flock and his herds spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So now the devil's got, the devil's got a good comeback here. Well, the only reason I haven't is because you treated him differently. You put a hedge around Job, and so that kind of made it unfair. But here's the deal. Right now, if you don't understand the context of this, God and Satan are placing a bet. That's exactly what the Bible is referring to. In other versions, it, might, it even says something closer to that. That they put a wager on it. I mean, that, that's something we got to understand about God. He was willing to play games with Satan to prove himself right. So he places a bet. They put money down. My money is that Job will curse it to your face. Well, really, my Job is that no matter what we do to Job, he's going to be perfectly fine. The next part says this. It says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He said, look it. God said, I will make his life miserable. But here's the one thing you can't do. Just don't touch him. Now, Satan doesn't care at that point. Satan doesn't care at that point. Now, look. Satan goes, I don't need to touch him. I just need him to curse, and I win the bet. So this is going to be easy. So Job wakes up one day, goes out into his field. A servant comes running in and says, Job, thieves came in the night and stole 3,000 of your camels. They stole all your camels. Now, right there, another servant comes running in and says, Job, all the sheep are dead. One more comes and says, the cattle have escaped. What they were saying is, Job, all your money's gone. And he can't believe it. Another servant, this, listen, there, there are three books of knowledge in the Bible. This is the third one. The reason why it's a book of knowledge is because it was written 
poetically. Read Job. It'll blow your mind how it's written. Another servant comes running in and said, Job, your family, your, your wife, your sons, daughters, grandchildren, they all decided to have dinner together. They haven't done this in years. And the roof fell in and killed them all. Another servant comes in and another servant, and they're, and they're just saying all the things that are happening in Job's life. Job gets so frustrated, he shaves his head, doesn't know what else to do, okay. He goes before God and says, God, why is this happening? He said, I know it's not you because you've always been faithful to me, right. Little does Job know it is God. God allowed it. But, but Job says, listen, I'm never going to turn my back on you, God, but explain to me why this is happening. No answer. Job's friends come and they say, Job, this was your fault. You must have been sinning. And Job said, I have not. I've been perfect. They said, it must have been your fault. He begins to believe them for a second. He goes back and forth. The Bible says he contemplates back and forth. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I did something wrong. Well, no, I couldn't have been because I've been faithful to God. He go back and forth. The friends say, well, maybe it wasn't you then. But maybe it was just God. Maybe he hates you. Maybe God is not uh, uh, the God that you think that he is. Maybe he's a God that, that, that does not uh, uh, want to serve you. Maybe he's a God that doesn't want to help you, whatever it is. And he begins to believe them for a second. He goes back and forth. This, this happens for uh, chapter after chapter after chapter where they're just poetically conversating back and forth what is going on. And Job is tossed back and forth. I don't know what to believe. But no matter what uh, happens, at the end of each chapter, he goes, no, 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 but I will be faithful to God. It's not him. It's not him. Finally, he's at the point of breaking up. He tells God, listen, God, I will be faithful to you. I'll be rebellious. When every, all my friends are telling me to give up, I will not. But here's what I need you to do. He puts a little pressure on God. God loves it. He says, here's what I need you to do. I want to see you. And if I see you, my faith will grow. But I'll be faithful until then. The Bible says that a storm cloud appeared and God was in the cloud. And then this is where it gets really trippy. He begins to show Job in the clouds of the creation of the world. He showed him the creation of the angels. He showed Job the creation of Leviathan in the sea. He showed him how, uh, uh, how people were formed. He showed him the history. And the whole time he's asking Job, could you have done that? Probably not. Could you have done this? No. Could you make uh, uh, the beast of the sea? No, I don't think you could. Let me, and he's showing Job, let me show you why you should be faithful. You wanted to see me? This is who I am. He begins to show Job exactly who he is. At the end, Job says, listen, after seeing all that, I know that, 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 that you are the creator. You created me, that you've been faithful to me, so I'll be faithful to you. And God said, that's all I needed. And he gave him double what he had before. Now, here's the deal we got to remember is that this is pre-Jesus, right? And so... When Jesus comes in, Jesus takes the place of loss. See, Job had to lose everything to get his double. Nowadays, now with Jesus, we don't have to do that. We get double right where we're standing now. But you'd only get double when you're faithful. You're faithful to give, faithful to serve, faithful to attend church. That's the only way. The next thing I want to talk about is this. Is you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You got the three Hebrew boys. They're being told to worship a certain way. They're rebellious. No, I will not worship that way. You want me to worship a statue? That's crazy. I'm going to worship God in my house, right? This is what the world wants me to do. This is what I'm going to do, right? And we face that every single day. This is how the world operates. So what? Who cares? I get in my room and do my own thing. That's what they were doing. They told the king's guard to their face, arrest me. I dare you. I'm a rebel. I'm rebellious. I'm rising in opposition. They were fearless. Another way to be rebellious is to be fearless. Long story short, we know the story. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in the fire. 
They said, go ahead and do it. We're not going to bend our knee. He said, all right, we're going to make it seven times hotter. You get one last chance. They said, ah, forget it. The hotter, the better. We'll just die faster, I guess. Throw us in there. So they, 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 they put out their arms. They're bound with rope on their wrists, right? They're being bound. That's what happens when you're fearless. Sometimes you get bound up, right? Fearless doesn't, listen, being fearless doesn't lead to uh, uh, being set free uh, at first. At least sometimes you in the direction of getting bound, being thrown in the furnace, and then getting released. So he gets bound up. They throw him into this fiery furnace, okay? And it's getting hot, hot, hot. They're looking in and waiting for them to burn, right? We know in the story, the ropes burned off, bondage set free, their clothes burned off, they were unrecognizable. And then they said, wait, hold on, there's a fourth person in there, and it looks like an angel, looks like the sons of God. So, Right? The king says, let them out. They came out just like, you know, like nothing, nothing burned, okay? No, no clothes, just naked and set free, right? Like no problem at all. They come out. King Nebuchadnezzar says, because of your fearlessness and your faithfulness and because you're God, I'm converting me and our entire nation to follow your God. That's who I want to follow, right? Fearlessness. Fearlessness gets you out of the furnace. A lot of times fearlessness puts you in the furnace, though. And those furnaces are necessary. See, they were bound before the furnace. We get bound before the hard times, the oppression comes. Well, if we can just get through that fearlessly, man, God honors that. The next thing I want to talk about is this. We're getting close to wrapping up is Noah. Noah was rebellious. Noah was a rebel. Why? Because Noah was righteous. In a world of complete chaos, I'm going to read about it in a second. Noah was the only one, him and his family, who lived righteously. Living, it's sad to say, but nowadays living righteously is being rebellious. And I said this, I said this in first service, righteousness does not mean being a Christian. Righteousness being, means to be in right standing with God, which is different than being a Christian. We have Christians who don't live righteously. And righteously is customized to you. God says, this is how I need you to be righteous. So I need you to stop doing this, start doing that. It might not be what the person next to you has to do, but it's what you have to do. So Noah figured out his righteousness and lived it. Now, this is how the world was living at the time. I'm going to throw this on the screen. It says, then the sons of God, this is the angels, saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. The angels came down to earth and began to, and began to sleep with human women. Think about God's perspective. The world's in complete chaos, okay? Uh, 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 you know, everybody is doing whatever they want, sinning left and right. And now his angels are sinning. I mean, he's losing control. Or he, feel, or he, he sees the control being lost. He never, obviously never loses control. But he sees it being lost. He sees the angels coming down. It says, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortals. Their day will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Again, this is like Game of Thrones stuff. The angels came down, slept with women. Those children became heroes of the time. They were big. They were strong. They were monstrous. They had, they were, they had a, 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 the strength of angels but in physical form. And these were these crazy creatures. Creatures that became heroes of the day. Why? Because they could go and kill it and slaughter armies. I mean, this is like the world is becoming complete, complete chaos. The next scripture says this. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human's heart was only evil all at the time, all at the same time. 
the, the, the people were so uh, 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 evil and their hearts had been completely transformed into something that God had not created that God begins to get, be devastated by that. It says this, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, think about how crazy the world has to be for God to say, I just regret even making them. They've gone so far away from me, I regret making them. But Noah, he looked at the earth and said, I will have to get rid of everything but Noah. Again, this is pre-Jesus where God has no choice but to wipe them out. Noah was righteous. If you want to be rebellious, you live a righteous life. And I encourage you to figure out what that means on your own. We could preach a whole series about righteousness. But Noah decided what people are doing, I'm just going to do the opposite. I'm going to rise in opposition to those things. The next person I want to talk about is John the Baptist. Man, John the Baptist was rebellious. John the Baptist, his rebellion was the fact that he was bold. He ate honey and bugs, right? He lived in the wilderness like a crazy person. He wore dead animals as clothes. When he went to the cities, they cast him out and said, he's crazy. Go back into the wilderness. He started a cult, okay? And people were out there just going nuts in the wilderness, okay? Baptizing people. Didn't nobody know what baptism was. They just thought John was drowning everybody, right? It, it was pure chaos. Jesus shows up. He says, John, don't forget, we're cousins. I want you to baptize me. John loses boldness for a second and says, no, Jesus, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, I never knew you to be afraid. What are you talking about? You need to baptize me. And he begins to baptize Jesus. Through John's boldness, we know who Jesus is. Without that, Jesus does not do what he does on the earth without John's boldness. But John's boldness uh, uh, got him killed. He was beheaded by King Herod, a fake king who worked for Pilate, who was just given a little plot of land. And King Herod had taken his brother's wife as his own. And John thought, you're a leader, but you're not living righteous, so I'm going to let you know. So he went to King Herod and said, hey, just so you know, uh, I know that you took your brother's uh, wife as your own, and that, that's a sin. That's a sin. It was boldness. He was willing to point it out. And he was beheaded for that. That's a boldness that we need. Man, if you're friends with somebody, you attend church with somebody, you, uh, you, know, you have a relationship with somebody and you know they're a Christian but they're not living right, it's about the boldness to say, hey, listen, I love you, but here's some things I need you need to fix inside of your life. That's being rebellious. That's saying, hey, I'm going to rise in opposition to these things. The next one is this, man, the woman with the issue of blood. We all know the story, right? This woman had a blood disease, incurable. Uh, Jesus is walking around down the streets uh, uh, of Jerusalem, and, and, pe and people are pawing at him left and right. Thousands and thousands and thousands gather. gather. Uh, his bodyguards are, like, bumping people out of the way, throwing kids, just right, because Jesus has to get through to where he's going, right? And this woman says, listen, I can barely walk. I'll even crawl my way to Jesus. And then she says this. If I could just touch, right, his jacket, I'll be fine. Everybody else wants a conversation with him. I don't need a conversation with him. I just need to touch him a little bit. Her rebellion was that she was persistent. Persistence is a rebellion. When everybody sits back down, you just say, well, no, I just need to touch the hem of his garment. That's all I need to do. When somebody tells you no, but you know it's got to do it, you just say, okay, we, we just don't need to talk anymore. I'm just going to keep doing this thing. When your mindset begins to say no, but you know it's God to say yes, you crawl on the ground and you touch the hem of his garment. That's what this woman did. She was cured in that moment. 
Peter, uh, uh, his rebellion was striving. Peter was one of the ultimate failures in the Bible. But his rebellion was to strive. When he messed up, he said, who cares? I'm going to try it again. I mean, think about this. He walks on water and drowns. <laughs> okay. He asked for Jesus' help. He walks on water again. I'm going to try this again. Um, he is, he is uh, uh, his name is Simon, right, which is uh, to hear. And Jesus said, you hear a lot, but you don't do a lot. I'm going to name you the rock. You're going to do something. You're going to be tough. You're going to be the cornerstone when I build everything on, right. Uh, he's Jesus' right-hand man and yet denies him three times. And still when Jesus comes back, he says, find my disciples and go tell the rock that I'm back. Peter was always striving. That's rebellion. When people say stop, you strive forward. The next one is uh, we got Saul, right, or the Apostle Paul. He was a rebel. Why? Because of his willingness. He was, he was a willing terrorist. He's one of the first recorded terrorists in the Bible. Um, he, he, he killed Christians. That was his main objective. There's non-biblical references of Saul, the Christian killer. That's what he did. He would go from city to city with an army and he would kill Christians. He was a terrorist. God meets him, right, and says, I can take your willingness to do this and make it your willingness to do this. I'll take your willingness to kill and make it a willingness to save. And he starts transforming them. And so he goes on to write most of the New Testament. He writes the letters that we all read, right, to Corinth and in Greek. And that's how we get Corinthians and Hebrews and all these books, right. He goes on to be one of the pillars of starting the first churches. He's the first church planter. Okay, so Peter starts the first church, right? So Peter the rock starts the first church. That's the Catholic church, okay? Paul comes in and he starts the other non-denominational churches. So this is what Paul does, but he did it because of willingness. You have to have a willingness. That's rebellious. When people say don't give your tithes, you say, but I'm willing. When people say don't give your time to church, you say, no, no, but I don't care. I'm a rebel. I'm opposed to that. I am willing. There's less claps on giving, but I get it. Jesus... Is the ultimate rebel, right? We could spend so much time talking about Jesus, but I want to get something clear in everybody's head: is that Jesus was a rebel. He was the rebel rabbi. He was at that time he would be considered somebody who was trying to overthrow government, overthrow religion. Uh, the people who didn't believe that he was a son of God thought he was uh, uh, this 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 insane dictator over people. They saw him as trying to, uh, uh, um, you know, t basically take over Rome. He was crazy. And the thing about Jesus was he kind of was crazy, right? He understood what the process was. He knew the end goal, and the end goal was pretty crazy. He said, I'm going to do all this amazing stuff, and then I'm going to die at the end. That's super crazy. He was rebellious. And there's a count after count after count of him being really rebellious. Almost everything he says, if you understand the law of that time, was he was saying the opposite of what the law was. He said, the law is don't do this. Well, why don't you do it instead? He was rebellious. Here's a couple ways. One, he has dinner with sinners, right? We know he sits with Zacchaeus. He can have dinner with anybody. He sits down with Zacchaeus, right? He saves a prostitute. I mean, that was against the law. The law was stoning a prostitute. He said, go ahead, I dare you, only if you're perfect, then you can stone her. He got down at her level and brought her, brought her up to his level, okay? So he, he, he's, he's constantly breaking rules. Another thing he does is he looks at the storm, right, on the boat, and he says, peace be still, and the storm stops. That's rebellious. You don't tell the winds and waves what to do. Jesus said, I do. The next one is this. 
The centurion, if you guys know the story of the centurion, the centurion shows up to Jesus. His disciples are on guard, ready to fight the centurion. The centurion says, hey, listen, I know I'm a centurion of Rome. Now, in a couple weeks, the centurion is going to order the death of Jesus. And Jesus knows this. The centurion doesn't, but Jesus does. The centurion takes off his helmet and says, listen, my daughter is sick. I need you to come and save her. And the disciples laugh. Are you crazy? You're like in complete opposition to us. And Jesus says, don't you forget we rise in opposition? I'm supposed to go to his house and heal him. I know he's going to kill me. But it doesn't matter. That's where I'm supposed to go. And he goes to the house and he begins to uh, heal the centurion's wife later on, or a daughter later on the centurion kills him. I want to read this last scripture. This is one of the ultimate just rebellious nature of Jesus. It says this, when Jesus has finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. I love that. This is noblemen. These are the rich men, the Pharisees. These are the priests. These are people that you don't mess with. They are judges. They run uh, councils. Um, they work directly with the king. They said, Jesus, I want you to come over and eat. They're trying to trap him. They've been trying to trap him forever. That's why the woman uh, was brought to him who was caught in an act of adultery. They're trying to trap him. So they said, listen, we're going to get him over. He's going to break a law and we can arrest him. Jesus goes in the house and he says, he reclined at the table. That's disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? That's not good disrespectful. He reclined, he put his feet up on the table. And they were dirty. We know that because it says this. Uh, it says, but the Pharisee was not surprised. They were surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. He's saying, you recline at my table and you're dirty? That's against the law. And he brings it up to him. He says, you are dirty. The next part of the scripture says this. It says, then the Lord said to him, Jesus is so fast. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. Now he's in their house. He said, oh, okay, you're going to talk about how my feet are dirty. Let me tell you this real quick. You foolish people. He's laughing at this point. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? And I love this. He goes, let me be more clear. But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. And everything will be clean for you. He looked around the house for a second. He looked at them and said, they got gold rings. They got a nice house. This table. Uh, you know, it, nobody could afford this in years. Your clothes are worth more than most people's food for a lifetime. And he said, let me be specific about you. You need to give to the poor. See, Jesus always tells you specifically what you need to do. And what God tells you to do doesn't mean he's telling everybody else to do that. So don't, you can't judge people based on how they live because he's being specific with you. Jesus was the ultimate rebel. The last thing was this, is that when he died, he rose in opposition and he rose again. Now, here's the thing. This is how it applies to us. There's so many times in our life where we are just dealing with dead things in our life. And some need to stay in the grave and stay dead. But there's so many things that we let die that we're not supposed to die that God is saying, listen, I did it. You can do it. Be rebellious and let that stuff rise again. But no, it does not rise again unless you become rebellious, unless you rise. Up. If you act like everybody else, you'll be dead like everybody else. I said this, and I'm wrapping up right here. I said this a long time ago. This is, some, this, is how, this is how I see God's nature. Is that he looks at the earth and he's looking at it through two different telescopes. One is the macro scale. And one is the micro scale. 
The macro scale, he looks at earth and he sees uh, 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 how people live, okay? And when somebody's living righteous, when somebody's being rebellious and shameless and fearless and faithful, it's like a light that lights up on the globe. And he goes, that person has got my favor. That person's living right. They stand out. They don't talk like nobody else. They don't live like nobody else. They're not doing what everybody else does. They're not speaking Christianese. They're not coming to church because they have to. They're not barely saved just to get to heaven. No, they're doing something different. And then he looks at the micro scale. And he zooms into every individual. And he looks and goes, wow. They're so lit up on the macro scale. When I zoom in, I can see Man, this is harder for them than it looks. Man, they're lighting up on my board, and yet they're going through all this kind of stuff. That's a rebel. And you got to see Jesus, you got to see God as that. He looks at it always in two scale. I want you to stand out, and he zooms in and sees why. What choices have they made to stand out? And I believe he's looking at us that way today. What can we change and fix? How can we be rebellious? How can we be shameless? Maybe you are bold, but you're not faithful. Maybe you're shameless, but you're also fearful. These things can all happen. And what can we do to change these certain things? Everybody close your eyes. Father God, I pray.